Shalom, Shavua Tov, to all of you lovely listeners of this great station, the station of Divrei Torah, Divrei Musar, Divrei Torerut, Divrei Halakha, and of course, religious music. This is Rabbi Albas from SLC. Today I'm going to speak a little bit about Pirkei Avot, and towards the end I'm going to talk about a pasuk from Parashat Kedushim. The very first Mishnah in Pirkei Avot, Moshe kibel Torah misinai from Sarah Yehoshua. Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu Sinai, and he gave it over. He transmitted the Torah faithfully to Yehoshua. It doesn't say untana, that he gave it over, that he gave it. He transmitted what he learned. He tried to give as much to Yeshua. Yeshua, again, faithfully transmitted to the Zikinim, the elders, the elders to the prophets, the prophets to the Anshik Knesset Agdola. And they said, they said three things. Badin. This talks about the Dayanim. Be very patient when it comes to rendering a judgment. When, you, when, a, when a two parties come over to the Dayan, to the judge, and they present their case, you shouldn't think, oh, three years ago I had a, a similar, almost identical case, and therefore I already know what the resolution of the case is. No, don't think that way. Be patient. Every case is always different. Look into it more carefully. Be patient before rendering a judgment. Have as many students as possible. The reason why it says this is because Rabban Gamliel, he had in his yeshiva, he had a slogan. Whoever is not sincere with himself, his inside is not like the outside, meaning that publicly on the outside he behaves a certain way. But inside, he behaves differently. He says, that's no good. He don't want that kind of person in the Beit Midrash. Well, later on, Rabbi Azab ben Azariah corrected that. He said, everybody is Baruch Haba. Why? Because even if a person is not sincere, once he starts learning Torah, the Torah will transform him, and he'll become sincere. Va'asu siyagla Torah. And make a fence around the mitzvot of the Torah. And I'm going to spend a little time on this. What does that mean, make a fence around the mitzvot of the Torah? We have many prohibitions in the Torah. In order not to come to violate this prohibition of the Torah, the Torah itself is telling us, Asu mishmeret lemishmarti. What does that mean? Put a fence around the prohibitions. For example, we have many cases on Shabbat, on the Arayot. The Torah tells us that certain women are prohibited, and there are many others that are not listed in the Torah. So the Chamim come and they enact decrees adding other prohibitions so that we don't come to actually to the uh, uh, to to violate the actual prohibition of the Torah. 
This is similar to a person who has a beautiful garden with beautiful fruits. If he doesn't have a fence around the fruit, people will come and take him. But if he puts a fence around it, that's protection. Then the people are not going to be easy to come and just take anything they want. The hachamim have, were given power to actually enact decrees to add other prohibitions. In, in for example, Masechet Shabbat, it says that the Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel gathered in Aliyat Hananiah ben Hiskiyah. They gathered in Arak, the attic of Hananiah ben Hiskiyah ben Garon, and then at that just at that meeting alone. They enacted 18 Gezerot. 18 Gezerot. And for example, not to drink the wine of a goy, not to, not to eat pat akum again, the bread. Why? Because these things might bring the people to be so close that maybe they will come, Hasbi Shalom, to have Shidduchin between. The, the, the Jews and the Gentiles, uh, they say, for example, uh, don't read the light of a candle on Friday night on Shabbat. Why? Because if you do, what could happen is that you will, you'll be uh, uh, moving it. And at the same time, once you move it, you could uh, close the, uh, the, the flame and, and, and cause a kibuy on Shabbat. And you can't say, for example, oh, you know what? Me, I'm different. It's not going to happen to me. You can't say that. You know why? Because Rabbi Ishmael himself, at Tanah, he said, he said to himself, I myself, I, I, I said to myself, oh, I'm going to read to the light of a candle and nothing's going to happen. And he says, I read, I was reading, and he did. He actually moved it around. He says, How great are the words of the Hachamim. This is something very important that we have to put protections around the prohibitions of the Torah. Rabbeinu Yonah says, A real Yeresh is the person who puts in as many protections as possible. For the, towards the prohibitions of the Torah. The more, the better. Now, it says in uh, Masechet Shabbat that nahash. a person who breaches the fence, meaning the fence that the Hachamim putting around, they're saying, okay, you don't have to come to the prohibitions, we add additional prohibitions and whoever breaches those hachamim, those prohibitions enacted by the hachamim, ishachenu nahash. A snake will bite him. Or let a snake bite him. Question comes up, why we're saying ishachenu nahash. A snake will bite him. Why not a lion will crack his head? or another wild beast will slit his throat, or whatever. No, he only talks about the snake. Ishachinu nahash. 
Why the snake? So the answer they give is like this. Because the snake was the first one, the first creature that was put together. What happened with the snake? Hashem told Adam Arishon not to eat from Etz Hadad. And what happened? The snake came, he enticed Chava in order to eat. And then from there also Adam Arishon ate. So because he was the first one that actually violated the command of Hashem, so that's why we say, Ishachinu Nahash. He was the one that was put together. So the one who was put together, Ishachinu Nahash. If the Hakamim say, you cannot ride a horse because, you know what? Because if I ride a horse, I might break a branch and make a stick out of it in order to hit the horse with it. You can't say, oh, you know what, me, I'm going to ride a horse. I'm not, I, 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 I'm never going to happen to me. <laughs> you can't say that. Put it together. You don't write. The question comes up like this. We're talking about a secondary prohibition of the hachamim. That's what put it together means. But here the Nahash apparently... Apparently, it looks like that he told Chava to eat from it. Now, you would say, where is the Poritz Geda here? It seems like he actually told her to violate the prohibition itself, not a secondary one, because Hashem told him not to eat, and he told her to eat. So, where is the Poritz Geda over here? This was the actual prohibition itself, not a secondary one. However, really, that is not the way it happened. Now, listen carefully. What happened was, Akadosh Baruch Hu told Adam Arishon not to eat from the tree of knowledge. Adam Arishon made a gather on himself. And he said, you know what? Not only am I not going to eat, I am not going to touch it either. This way, I will not come to eating it. If I can't touch it, I won't be able to eat it. So he made a gather. He did something additional. But he did not tell Chava about the gather. He just told Chava, you know what? We can't eat, we can't touch. So in her mind, Chava thought that the touching and the eating came from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So when the Nachash came over to her, she said, you know, we cannot eat it and we cannot touch it. Had she known that the touching was only a gede, she would not have said that. She thought that was the actual one. So the snake said to her, wait a minute, what do you mean he can't touch it? Hey, he pushes his hand, she touches it, nothing happened. So he said, uh, if nothing is happening when you touch it, nothing will happen when you eat it. That's how she came to the sin. So which means now, 
Poretz Geder Ishachenu Nachash means that actually the Nachash was Poretz Geder. Which Geder? The Geder that Adam Arishon made on himself that not to touch. That was a Geder. It was not the prohibition itself. It was a secondary prohibition. Now we can, now we can understand well what Ishachenu Nachash means. At this point, I would like to bring up a a, a, a little pasuk from Parashat Kedushim, and I want to discuss it. Something quite interesting, because I want to bring up a, a little historical evidence to that. First of all, as you know, uh, last week there was a, a, a devastating earthquake in Nepal where, I don't know, over 6,000 people got killed, uh, uh, twice as many injured, and, uh, uh, and uh, maybe 600,000 or so homeless. And what happened? Little Israel over there, they're the first one that act, and they send a whole, uh, 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 whole airplane full of medical instruments and, and, and medicines, all kinds of things. And they come to Nepal and they set up a gigantic field hospital where they were treating hundreds and hundreds of injured people. Saudi Arabia, who has money, didn't do that. The Emirates, who have plenty of money from the oil, didn't do that. But Israel did. Whether the government did it because of the pasuk of the Torah or not, it's immaterial. But this is part of what it says in Parashat Kedushim, Lo ta'amod al dam re'echa. What does that mean? Lo ta'amod al dam re'echa? Do not stand by idly while the blood of your fellow is being spilled. Now, the... Uh, the, 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 the Gemara gives examples on that. For example, you see someone drowning and you're a swimmer. Or see you jump in, you have an obligation to save him. Now, we're not saying to endanger your life. No. Assuming that you have the ability to do so, then you should. And also, if, let's see, a, a, a wild beast is running after someone and you can't save him, you should Make, you have an obligation to do so. And it, it, it gives us a few examples like that. But this is not restricted to these examples. Any time there is a physical danger to your fellow men, you have an obligation to do something to save them. The fact that Israel sent those planes is not only for the Gentiles, but also for the Jews themselves, the Israelis that were there. They wanted to save them, and they did. They were in danger. They brought them all back home. That's very important to understand the idea of being close and loving your fellow man to the point where you will try your best to go ahead and try to save him. Now, this pasuk 
as far as I know, I saw this maybe an, way, way back, maybe 20 years ago. I can't exactly find that source any longer, but this is what I have read once. This pasuk was evoked by Menachem Begin. In, until May 1977, the government of Israel was uh, presided by the, the labor. Labor, prime ministers from the Labor Party were there. In May of 77, the Likud took over. They won the election. And Menachem Begin was the prime minister. Now, prior to him was Yitzhak Rabin from Labor, who was sort of cooperating with then President Carter of in America, the President of the United States. And as you know, President Carter is no friend of the, of the Jews at all time until today. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, he went to Israel. He wanted to meet with some government people, but no one wanted to meet with him. No one. So we know what his views are. But this was in 1977. After he was elected prime minister, which was May, two months later, in July of 77, Carter invited Biggin to come to Washington to speak to him because Carter wanted to push him as much as possible in order to give land for peace, give up the West Bank for peace. Of course, Menachem Begin had a different idea in his mind. Uh, land for peace meaning giving up our land, our, uh, the land of our forefathers in order to have peace that did not agree with him. He called the West Bank Yehuda Shomron, Judea and Samaria, part of our land. He said, peace, okay, will be peace for peace. You give us peace, we'll give you peace. Land is not so simple. So because he had a, a vision that was drastically different from Yitzhak Rabin, Carter wanted him to come so that he can convince him otherwise. But you know, those of you who read about Menachem Begin, I remember him. This man was a, a very devoutly pro-Jewish. He may not have been very religious, but I'll tell you one thing. Anytime he was invited by Goyim and they had a dinner for him, whatever, he insisted on kosher, kosher meal. And when he sat down, he took out his yarmulke put it on his head and made a beracha in front of everybody. He didn't care. He loved the Jewish nation. He loved Israel. So when he came and he started talking to Carter, now Carter, of course, was very strong uh, against this idea of not giving up the land. So he tried to push Menachem Begin first gave him a shiur, a, 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 small, a, a lesson in Jewish history. 
but all the persecutions that we had throughout our history, the pogroms, the inquisitions, the exiles, the holocausts, and so on and so forth. He gave him a taste of what we went through. And uh, Carter, although a Christian, he also come from a place where they knew something about the Bible. And he told me, hey, in the Bible, this is the land of our forefathers. This is the land of our forefathers. We can't give it up. So Menachem Begin was a man of great convictions himself to the point where not only Carter was not able to convince him, he sort of worked into the Carter psyche and even President Carter backed down a little. But towards the end, President Carter said to him, look, let's not rush into this. Think about it. Take a week or two, think about it, and come back, tell me the answer. So he said to him, Mr. President, let me tell you a story that happened 800 years ago. And Begin started telling him about the story of Rabbi Amnon, Allah wa shalom. Rabbi Amnon was a Talmud Hacham, Yereshamayim. He was in the city of Mainz in Germany. And he was liked by, not only by his fellow Jews, but even the non-Jews in general, he was liked. And the duke at that time, who was the, the, the ruler of, the, uh, of the, the, the county around him, he also liked him. And he consulted him uh, on many occasions on matters of state. But as usual, what happens when a Jew becomes, uh, you know, a little bit liked by the ruler, other people become jealous. So the Goyim became jealous of him, and they went to the Duke, listen, you know, you know what? I'll give you a good idea. He says, why don't you ask him to become a Goy, to become a Gentile, to convert? And then you promise him, once he becomes like us, He'll behave like us. He'll give him a very high position in government. So the Duke thought, hey, that was a good idea. The next time Rabbi Amnon came, he told him, why don't you convert like us? Be Christian like us. And we'll give you a big, big high position in government. As soon as he heard that, his face became yellow, pale. He couldn't believe he was asking him that. Of course, he said to him, uh, Your Majesty, I, uh, you know, I've always uh, 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 served you very faithfully. Uh, I will do whatever you want. But please, my faith, I cannot change. Okay? Next time he comes, same thing. He asks him the same question. Again and again and again and again. Finally, one time he said to him, you know what? The ruler says to him, to Rabbi Amnon, think about it for three days and come back with an answer. Okay. He said, okay, fine. As soon as he walked out of the palace, 
Rabbi Abnon was beyond himself. He couldn't believe himself. How could he say okay to thinking about it for three days? I mean, was there in his suffix, in his mind, any doubt in his mind that there is a possibility that he would become like them, Hazrat Shalom? Why even he agreed to think about it for three days? One home, couldn't sleep, couldn't eat. Three days later, he doesn't show, doesn't go. And he sends some messengers to him. The duke says that he, he wants to talk to him. He didn't go. He sent soldiers. They brought him f forcefully. So the duke says to him, how could you do that? You said you were coming after three days. Say, give me an answer. He said, well, the tongue that lied, cut it off. He says, no. Your legs that didn't run to the appointment should be cut off. That's what he did. Rabbi Amnon, he cut off his legs. On the next Rosh Hashanah, as the story goes, he he went there and he went to the uh, to the shul. He was he went. I mean, he was he was brought into the shul. And somewhere during the musaf, he told the hazan, "Stop a minute!" And he made he composed a beautiful piyut, which is called Ontani Tokef. Now he, I mean, this begging didn't say this part to the king to to uh, Kara. I'm just telling you, uh, uh, the beautiful piyut, uh, which is like uh, the, 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 the apex of, of, of the tefillah, where everybody becomes very emotional in this, in this piyut here, where it says, Uchuva utfila utzdaka ma'averi netroa gzera. He composed that. There, there are various different variations of how this happened, but he did. Uh, he did post this on Tanitoka. So the idea is Menachem Begin turns to Kari and says, You want me to think about it? Look what we have here. If we give out, if we give, if we give up, if we give away the, uh, the, the West Bank, you're going to have a long strip of land which is only nine miles wide. That will present a tremendous danger to the people. The Arab can shoot at any time, kill anybody. And he quotes the Pasuk, Lo ta'amod al dam re'echa. I cannot let that happen. My, can, my conscience, as he tells him from the Bible, I cannot just stand here idly while the blood of my people is being shed. I can't do it. I, I can't even think about it. That's the answer. I can't think about it. At any rate, as I said before, uh, after, uh, after speaking to Begin for a couple of hours, Kara uh, backed down a little. But Rabutai, this particular pasuk, is something very important to keep in mind. Because if we really love our fellow man, as it says, then 
will we will never just stay away from helping our friends. Anytime they could be in danger, we have an obligation to go and help them. And if we can extend that a little bit, uh, uh, I, I take a little bit of license here and, and saying, okay, we can extend that not only to physical danger, but perhaps to even spiritual danger. As it's the Torah, We have an obligation if we see someone who is totally, you know, way out of the religion. We should also, this is considered also, don't just stay idly by and do nothing. If you have the ability to do something and you can't do it, then you have an obligation to do so. It says, and this way you will not bear the sin. The clear car, look over it says, it means that if you don't, Meaning, if you don't really go try to help him out, then you will bear a sin. We have an obligation to try, both physically and spiritually, to be always connected with our fellow man, to love our fellow man, to help him, to save them in any way. And we do that, there'll be great shalom in the nation. And that will hasten the coming of Mashiach Sitkenu Amekin Rasun. Rabotai, just want to remind you again, this great station really exists on contributions. So it's up to you. If you want this beautiful station to keep on, then please make an effort to help. Also, let me say that SLC has a beautiful social hall downstairs that can accommodate. Uh, 400 guests very spaciously. If you have any simha, please contact us. We'll be happy to accommodate you. Thank you and Shavuatov.